Everyone still looks uncomfortable. Perhaps they all remember that old saying, power corrupts. Welcome to Second Officer Slog, episode 42. I'm your host, Dam, and with me is my number one, Jackson. Hello. Are you here to burger as my number one? I'm here to burger as a number one. What does that mean? Number one shows up and she eats a burger. <laughs> she does, right. I forgot. Yeah, <laughs> look, we've just listened to 14 Marvel Cinematic Universe themes and my brain is mush. Yeah, that's fair. Um... So I'm a bit out of it, but I'm ready to talk about Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you just want to get into it? We don't have anything else. Neither of us has done anything Star Trek related in the last week. Yeah, no. We've just watched the Discovery that has been watched. All right. Um, do you want to give us the... Uh... No, do you want to give us the... Do you yeah, want okay, to... Sure. Uh, this episode <laughs> is called an Obel for Ch- Charon? Charon? Whatever. I don't know. Uh, this is episode four of Discovery. It aired the 7th of February, 2019. Uh, teleplay was by Alan McElroy and Andrew Colville. Story by Jordan Nardino, Gretchen Jayberg, and Aaron Harberts. It was directed by Lee Rose. It takes place, stardate 1834.2512, also known as the year 2257. It's still 2257. It will remain. Uh, according to the stardates, apparently this is a week after last episode. So Okay. Um what happens on this episode, Jackson? On this episode, we begin with number one showing up and eating a burger and providing some exposition. Um, Spock's uh, headed off, to, uh, ran away from the starbase and everything, and done these murders, supposedly. Um, but she has found uh, his warp signature, and the Discovery sets off to chase him. So Pike's like, we're going to go get him. We're going to go get him back. We're going to go find Spock. We're going to figure out what's going on, going wrong. Um, Michael Burnham uh, requests that she not be present when they run into Spock for uh, she has caused Spock great emotional harm and she thinks that it will um, be beneficial that she isn't isn't present at that time uh, so she asks uh, if she doesn't have to be part of that mission and Pike's like that seems stupid but I guess I'll listen to you uh, but that really does seem dumb at that moment uh, the discovery is pulled into the orbit of a massive big red thing that is not to anything to do with the red things that we have seen so far. This is a big space rock that mysteriously makes everyone start talking random languages, has infected the ship with the virus, um, and has given Sarek, uh, Sarek, has given Saru uh, a little bit of a problem, but we'll get into that in a minute. Um, there are multiple plots in this episode. There are three main plots that are really two plots. Um, plot number one is the general... Um, problem that is uh, the discovery being in danger and um being in the grip of this uh, ship uh, that's a big big rock big ship uh, that is obviously a life form obviously alive and the plot of the episode i'll just summarize it in its broad strokes because they're not really the, the thematic uh, plots of the episode are it has trapped them in um eventually they realize it's trying to communicate with them because it wants to die 
and the answer is to lower their shields and stop defending themselves and then the ship uh, uh, then the uh, the life form saves them and gives them all of its information and dies as it throws them to safety uh, the answer was to trust it all along and that is the main uh mystery plot that services um two subplots in the episode the first being between um michael burnham and saru saru uh, by being in empathetic contact with this uh, life form has his own uh death um process triggered uh wherein his like ganglia start going wild he starts seeing uv lights um because he has been summoned for the culling uh that um his race goes through as we saw in that really bad short trek episode uh, and it is terminal because either you succumb to the madness or you are killed by the other race um, and that is what Sarah believes uh, throughout the episode he uses his um, like death situation to help them solve the main mystery uh, and then at the end of that mystery it is time uh, for Burnham to um, to kill Saru to put him out of his misery to put him out of the suffering and cut off his threat ganglia and she's crying and he's crying and they all do that but then she taps the threat ganglia they fall out he's fine actually and everything's fixed um, and that is that plot uh, the other plot the C plot of the episode or the A plot depending on how you want to count I don't really actually know um, is uh, to do with the engineering lab that has been through narrative convenience sealed off in another plot chamber because what they have to do doesn't interact with the other stuff really uh the uh spore life form that was inside tilly has been taken out of tilly uh and is currently in um in like stasis uh and they um uh, how, how does this work they first of all um uh jet reno shows up they're trying to figure out what to do trying to figure out what this about the ship being is. broken Right, that's how this this all comes yes. because the because the, the, the thing when it breaks the ship uh, also affects engineering. So they don't know how yes. to fix the ship, and she's there to fix the ship. Um, all the EPS conduits are overloaded. There's lightning uh, everywhere. Right, and they do some science stuff, uh, and eventually this this uh, resolves, uh, and the the um, the spore life form. Uh, attaches itself back to Tilly again and they try to use this to communicate with the life form and see what it wants. The only way they're going to be able to do that uh, is to use a like machine that can like connect neurally um, and the only way they're going to be able to make that work is if they um, drill a hole in Tilly's head. Usually this would be like a surgical procedure but and the ship's broken down so they have to actually find a drill, sterilize it and put a hole in Tilly's head. Uh, Tilly is not having a good time. But they do this, they communicate with the with the spore and the spore's like, every time you transport through the spore drive you are making untold like death to my people so you can all get fucked. By the way, I'm keeping Tilly. Uh, I've got plans for her. And Stamets is like, well, sorry about the other thing but you're not keeping Tilly because that's Tilly. Um... And then the the spore drive, the spore drive, the spore organism like engulfs her entirely. But eventually they get her out, and she's like covered in goo, having a bad time. Uh, but then uh, after some spores are released, they kind of have like a bit of a trip. Uh, and then uh, Tilly looks aside, and then when they look up, Tilly is gone. Um, and was she ever there at all, uh, or did she ever come out of the spore? Because they then belt bend down look inside the spore organism to pull her out again and it's completely empty she is inside the mycelial network and that is where we end and those are the three main plots in their broadest form that's correct those are them you did it i I did it i summarized the episode i did a pretty good job yeah no pretty good in general so how do you want to tackle this 
Um. Number one shows up to bring information about Spock's warp trail. Uh, Number one getting her, like, exposition moment is fun. Um, I'd like her to have something more substantial to do, but I'm glad she's here for now, because she's very cool. I mean, yeah, she shows up to eat a burger, put a habanero sauce on her fries, and then give him a map and then leave again. But... In terms of things to do in Star Trek, showing up to eat a burger is pretty good. Uh, yeah, no, that's fair. If you're gonna you think, have a so nothing, I'm cameo. pretty sure I'm pretty sure it was established in that Saru book that she's vegetarian. Is do you think that all the Star Trek food is just like vegetarian at this point? I mean, I don't think they've read the Saru book. I mean, I don't know. The like, Kristen Byers read the Saru book. She works on this show. Um, possibly. I, like, I mean, if it's a vegetarian burger that she just likes th- burgers... You, I just want to... Do you think the things that come out of the machine are because of what they're built out right. of? Right! They're like just vegan. built out of stuff. What does that mean to be a vegetarian in a world? Well, we're yeah. going to talk about this. We're not going to talk about Sarah fake dying. We're going to talk about <laughs> what it means to be vegetarian in a world where all food is replicated and made from like, uh, like, molecules. Like, Joe Sisko eats some fucking animals, but do yes. if you're getting your food from a replicator, are you... It's all vegan, right? Like, absolutely. Like, why wouldn't you if you can just produce it out of component parts? I assume there are two stances on this, right? There's the first stance that will be, yes, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's a very materialist. Is an animal dying? And there's the other one, which is, no, you are still eating the thing. You have, like, used a bunch of other technology to replicate meat. And it's a more philosophical difference about separating your, like, own processes well, from the needing of meat. I right? know I, that I know that TNG says that by the era of TNG, nobody eats animals anymore. Which is not true, but everyone at Starfleet i assume just doesn't eat animals anymore yeah, i mean unless you could just create unless the material you're, regardless. yeah unless you're like unless you're like Worf or cisco or whatever right like those are characters mm-hmm. that we see eating animals yes uh, but like it is when an uh, a random person has like a steak right from the from yeah. the replicator that yeah. is just m- when number, when number one recompiled. asks for a burger she probably just gets a like fake meat right um, i mean it's real there's no difference I mean, if it's built out of, if it's built out of, like, the things that are in animal flesh, they had to get that from somewhere, right? Um, I mean, how, how, how deep is the recompiling of molecules? Yeah, I guess, I guess this is the big Are they taking about, are they, does the replicator, I've always assumed the replicator could, like, on the, like, electron neuron level, literally recompile molecules. Because otherwise the question becomes, the question becomes, does the replicator have a big vat of, like, chicken and beef, or does it have a big vat of, like, carbon and hydrogen? I've always assumed it's carbon and hydrogen. I've always assumed it's carbon and hydrogen. That's why it can make anything, because it just, the molecules come back together in the way they needed. So I assume there's no difference Definitely true. Meat. Definitely true of the TNG era, but this is the food dispenser, not a replicator, so it's a little different. Uh, well, that's true. But yeah, These no, it's probably questions. it's probably not real meat. This is just a thing that came to mind because she's not in this episode very much. She's great. I'm excited to see more of her. I agree. Yeah, her cost. Uh, the outfit's good. I agree. Yeah, I know you're pro the TOS outfit. I am too. I just don't think Discovery would look good with it. This is where we yeah, disagree. I don't know how I would feel about everyone wearing it, but every time someone walks in, I'm like, this is a much better outfit than anyone else is wearing. Yes. Um, uh, Spike- even if they all wore oh. the blue color, like not even the blue of the, if they all wore that uniform, but it was Discovery blue, I think I prefer that. There's just something about the like design of the shirt that's very good. Yeah. Uh, Pike spends the entire rest of this episode uh, whining about how they need to go get Spock, which makes sense. I mean, it is his, like, science officer. But yes. That's literally what he does. Um, 
This also means, uh, because uh, number one came over, that uh, Commander Nan is now on the ship because she came with her. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm here now. She is wearing a dress version of the Discovery uniforms with like a skirt. It's very good. She She's very cool. I like her yes. a lot. Yes. Uh, this episode really gets into using the ensemble a bit more. Yes. Uh, so, yes, when we get to the big sphere, uh, pre- press edging that is a big conference room scene. But it's in the ready room. They, they just have a table to the left of this is, Pike's ready room. This is not, I don't think this is the ready room. I think this is the other thing they built. Like, it's not, it's not off the bridge. Sure, but it's the, it is used as Pike's ready room. Like, because when we talked yeah, about it last it, time, we're like, like the thing, to the it. thing that's the, like, the thing that he, that was Lorca's room is like a science lab now. Yeah. But. This has functionally, in most scenes, been Pike's ready room because they. Yeah, they, I mean that's how they, it is on that's how it is on TOS. Also, like if Kirk's not in his quarters, he sometimes hangs out in the big conference table where he just also has a desk, right? Okay, that makes more sense then. Coming yeah. from because I'm I'm like oh because I read it more as oh Pike came in and look because he does have a moment of coming in and being like oh everyone's in my ready room talking about stuff. Yeah, what's going on, guys? <laughs> it's yes. a good funny moment. Yes, and so we get everybody there. Uh, I need an episode about Kayla Detmer stat because she's great. She's got amazing faces all the time. Uh, she clearly is just a character psyched to be in Star Trek in the same way Tilly is, but nothing has happened to her yet other than the, the time she lost her eye, I guess. That was a really bad time for her. <laughs> yes. Uh, she did a cool drift the other week. Yeah, she, she did do a donut in a starship. <laughs> uh, so she's incredible in my book, but yeah, yes. she needs a plot. Yeah. Because uh, I like her a lot. Uh, Linus, once again, stealing the show um, by uh, mentioning that he had a cold that day that he sneezed all over that dude who died. Uh, but mentioning how his cold is especially bad because he has four like nasal passages or whatever. Four or six. Yeah. I don't remember what he said. A lot. A lot of snot's going to come out of that man. It did. Yes. <laughs> Can confirm. Yeah. Saru is having salt with his tea, which is already established. It's gross. Don't do this, Saru. I guess it's fine for him, but it's gross. <laughs> going to be racist now. I'm going to be such I, a racist. I, so the thing that's outrageous about this is that the ready room just has salt and pepper shakers on it, as if everyone hangs out and has dinner there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you would, wouldn't you? You would. I guess. But, like, it's not it's not him drinking the tea with salt in it. It's the idea that people could just be having the star. Like, where's the episode where Picard's debriefing everyone and Deanna Troy just has her, like, hot fudge sundae in front of her? Oh, TNG would be a much better show. <laughs> yes, absolutely. If I could make one change to TNG, it's that they're eating in the restroom. Uh, yes. In the meeting room. Yes. That, yeah, that is the least the least believable part of TNG is that they're not all carrying at least coffee to the meeting yeah. room. <laughs> yep. Voyager fixes that. Yeah, no. It doesn't make Janeway obsessed with the coffee all the time. You're good. All the time. All the time. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's the big orb. Do we want to talk about the big orb just in general? So, the big orb, well, we need to get into it because I like this stuff and you think it's kind of trite. It's um, just, it's not that it's trite. It's that I've literally seen this plot like six other times. That's what trite means. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Because trite kind of means that, like, it's a trope. I don't know if it's trite. I think it's done okay. Uh, I don't like the thing Star Trek does all the time where at the end of this, uh, Pike's like, we've got enough information to search. We, like, historians will be pouring over this for centuries and then it's never addressed again because, of course, it's not. Well, yeah, it doesn't matter. That part's yeah. whatever. Um, the episode for me, I liked the parts with Burnham and Saru just fine because I. They were mostly about Spock. We're not and talking Burnham. about that here. We're talking about the big orb. Well, that's what the big orb does. It makes the big orbs. Like, the big orb 
facilitates that plot happening. Yeah, that's fair. It's like the visitor's not a plot about a malfunctioning uh, like um, engine. Yes, masks also not a plot about a comet that has a weird <laughs> signaling device right. on it. But also the same. I'm just saying that masks is a better episode than this one. <laughs> look, look, I don't think that's true. I think that's definitely true. No, it's not. You know, you know what's good? Masks. One of my favorite TNG episodes. Look, I'm a masks defender. Like, it's stupid and bad, but it's I'll I'll show up for uh, Brent Spiner failing. To I think act I think the thing that bothers people. me the most about this like sphere plot is the part at the end of the episode where Pike's just listening to like Alien Wikipedia being read. Well, the, the computer has synthesized <laughs> yes. the spores, like uh, the, the the spheres' truths into Wikipedia. Yeah, it's just like this this empire you've never heard of went to war with this federation you've never heard of billions of years ago it's like he's uh, loaded up a dark souls law video yes absolutely <laughs> and is is very intently listening to it exactly like a dark souls fan would <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that part's dumb it didn't need that uh i don't know the sports stuff was fine i the the, the, the why do i keep saying sports the sports the other thing that's another thing on the show the sphere stuff was fine it was um like a plot that's happened before, right? Is yeah. the big thing you think is dangerous turns out the answer is to trust it. Yeah, this is that's just a lot Star Trek one. Like that's fine. Uh, I'm going to like poop all over this episode, and it's mostly because I saw everyone saying that it was like the most emotional episode ever, and then I watched it, and it was just Star Trek. <laughs> it's really good, though. It is very emotional. I think I liked last week's episode more than this one, so. Out of your mind. I'd rather have Star Trek be interesting than good. We had this discussion, Jackson. Uh, this is interesting and good. I don't know. The stuff it does for Burnham is good. The stuff it does for Tilly is good. I don't think it it's that Star interesting. Uh, I mean, it's the payoff to interesting stuff. I don't know. Uh, anyway, the sphere looks dumb. I don't like the way it's designed. That's my take about I mean, that. The part where it's a big red thing that has nothing where, to do with the Where it's like a weird, things. like, Borg clockwork sun. <laughs> also, they keep, they're, they're talking about, like... The, the ship like, goes full stop, and they're like, we're caught in a web, let's see the spider. And I'm like, oh shit, what does this mean? You can't be talking about being caught in a web. Yeah, I know. Uh, Pike just talks in like the most like dumb metaphors because he's Pike, and sometimes it's a little much. And I'm like, we're going to get the Tholians? No, we're not going to get the Tholians. No. Please give me crystalline lava spiders. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I need crystalline lava spiders. Yeah. Uh, the thing that it does do in scrambling the Universal Translator, absolutely the best scene in this episode. Yeah, they all start talking random languages. It's very good. And I have opinions about that, which is the part where it starts and um, Burnham's talking Klingon and the subtitles are up is fantastic. Because uh, it's I the don't... subtitles for like when the Klingons are talking. Yeah, but they keep the same font for all of yes. the subtitles. And I'm like, yes. no, that, that font means someone is speaking Klingon. It is a purposeful yes. designed font. You can't use it when they're speaking French. Yes, no, they should have, if they had a different font for every language, that would be, this is too much work, but that would be amazing. Originally, I thought the episode was going to be about navigating the language, but that ends up being yes, a very minor that's what plot. I wanted this episode to be about, extremely. Because that would have been, like, that would have been the real masks. Because if everyone on the ship was speaking weird languages except engineering, where they were arguing over spores versus dilithium, it would be the greatest episode of Star Trek ever made. <laughs> yeah, and no one but you and I would like it. <laughs> that's fine. I'm in this for me. <laughs> um... 
Instead, the episode. So we want to talk about. I want to do um, Bannum and Sarah before we do Tilly and uh, Stan. That's fine. That's fine. But I do. I like the bit where they bring back that Saru's learned like 90 some languages and yes. he's just doing the translation for everyone and everyone's like Saru can you understand us he's like I've got eyes and ears don't I <laughs> <laughs> I know how things sound uh yes um it's very good the part where he fixes it by pressing like three buttons in a hallway not as good yeah because it turns out the solutions aren't that difficult but that you have to just, all you have to do is walk somewhere but that's really hard for him because he's dying he's dying Okay, this is the, we can talk about this plot now. He's, He's dying, dying of death. Because the sphere has triggered his like sympathetic response. Saren is not an empath. I don't think the show remembers that. He's not an empath. That's not his power. He just senses death because he's like a prey animal. That's not the same thing. I mean, they have tried to make it the other thing. I think we have to accept Sarah is at least a little bit of empath now. When you want to retcon a show from the late 80s, I'm fine with it. You can't do this in a modern television show. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, sensing the coming of death is a little empathetic. Sure, but now he's like, I felt that thing's anguish so much that it triggered my own death response, which is not exactly how his thing works. It was always like, if I see something dangerous, I can sense it before you dumb animals can. Well, I mean, this ties into the whole thing we talked about in Short Treks, that we didn't think that the sacrifice thing lined up with what we thought uh, the Kelpians were. Yes. Like, it, yes. between and seasons, they have changed the nature of the Kelpians the way we just yes. kind of have to accept. Yeah, I just, I don't think I like it as much, but it's fine because all of it's fake anyway, so... <laughs> Uh, yes, I mean, we knew that all along. Yes, absolutely. It's like, lens- oh, my people were raised to be like cattle for another alien. It's like, oh, well, that's definitely going to be a plot that we re- re- turn out that that's not actually it. And they're just oppressed in some way. Uh, yeah, like we called it instantly. Uh, clearly the faceless slaughtering people of the same race as them. Like th- well, they have not revealed I, this yet. I, we, we argued during that episode whether they're the same thing or whether they were like weird like lizard people. And you said that they were definitely not the same thing. So Okay, well, I'm probably wrong. Passing <laughs> yeah. is probably wrong as shit. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> now I'm watching this being like, oh, they're definitely going to be the same people, aren't they? Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's, it's, it's affected his like... L- death response normally where everyone sits in front of the big mass effect orb and gets teleported away to be slave labor on some sort of asteroid which is probably what is actually happening um yes and uh which is boring but uh whatever uh we'll find out when we get to kelpia kelp uh, camino i don't remember what it's called <laughs> it's fucking his, hell his planet has a name but all i all, my brain just gives me camino camino yes Kaminar. that's right close enough <laughs> Who ordered the clone army? <laughs> well, the Baul did, obviously. Well, the Baul did, obviously, yes. They made a uh, planet disappear from the Jedi Order? Yeah. So he's sweaty and in a lot of pain, and that's sad, and Burnham's like, oh, he, I'm going to help you. He's not very good at being sweaty. They, they do not have like, that much money to make the prosthetics like sweaty and run down. I bet I bet it is really bad for the prosthetics to be spritzed down with water all the yes, time. Yes, so I bet it, it is like, as well. Scene. Um, and so... He's going to help Burnham figure out the space mystery at the asteroid, which is talk to it because it's a Star Trek show. We already covered that part. Uh, But in the meantime, they're going to talk about, like, why he kept the fact that he could potentially just die someday because that's what his species does from Burnham. Um, And he's like, I'm uh, the most secret person in all of space. How how are you surprised by this? Which is my response, honestly. (laughs) Uh, yep. <laughs> part of this, part of this comes from we've read the books where he noticed that Burnham broke into his room one time when she touched one thing. <laughs> yep. Also, um, that lines up perfectly with everything he's ever done. Yes. 
Um, and he's like, I didn't even share my language with people. Uh, you need to be the executor of my will. You need to listen to all my logs. And she's like, that would be very painful since we're friends. He's like, yes, I know, but that's why I ask you to do it. Uh, <laughs> because it's sometimes Burnham's a bit dense in these shows. I feel like as the like point of view character, sometimes she's given very ridiculous things to say. I mean, she's um, a ridiculous character. Yes. Um, and this stuff is good. Like when they're in the science lab trying to figure this out, they're talking and being empathetic towards each other. I like this a lot. Um, yes, me too. Later, when Saru is Jeff Goldblum shirtless on a rock, yes, <laughs> dying for about ten minutes. Yes, where it's like, oh, you can see me without my shirt on. Isn't my chest weird and ornate? And I'm like, yeah, it sure is. It's a good makeup effect. And he's like, look at all the plants. I get, I had 15 seeds when I left Kaminar, and now look at my garden. And I'm like, yeah, sure, Recoalond, I got it. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. And then he's like, I keep a knife that I took from my sister. I use it to, it's a knife that he uses to trim the plants. He could just replicate a shears. It would be much better than using his knife. He uses his cer- look. We cannot get mad at Star Trek doing its like weird ceremonial nice shit. This is it does this a lot. It's specifically that this entire scene is meant to pull at your heartstrings in like the most like ham-fisted, obvious ways. And I think well, the other when- scene did it better. And for uh, they they already did all this stuff, and they just reiterate it with like more like pathos. It does this scene does not work for me. I mean, I prefer the scene in the science lab because they're being much more earnest with their feelings. Yes. Um, I think that scene that, that scene was the really emotional one for me. Um, yeah. And there's a other scene in the other plot, um, but I, I like all the stuff when they're talking about Spock and when it's more when it's less about the moment to moment is Saru gonna die stuff and more about Burnham learning that she can't run away from Spock because she's scared she has to go like talk to the people who she loves. Um, like I think that stuff's really well handled because um, that's what the episode is about. Yeah. yeah, and that, that's like I, know, I found that very moving and emotional. Like you got to deal with your shit. Yeah, so I I agree with this as like the thing that Burnham's learning through this episode. I just think that the way it's presented is just too much. It's just too melodramatic for what I like out of Star Trek. Uh, I get it, but I don't know. I'm fine with some broad melodramatic uh, emotional strokes sometimes. There's just, there's just so many scenes of Burnham crying, like, tearfully at Saru in this episode, uh, talking about how you were the best uh, Kelpie and you have become strong and learned how to work through your fear. And isn't that great? And I'm like, he's going to survive. It's Star Trek. He's, like, the third build character. I mean, this show has not been shy about killing people off. I did, like, I was worried for a bit there. I, I was not worried for a bit there. I just feel like this, none of this worked for me. I don't, I don't, like, I don't know. I know that I'm in the minority here. I think most of the stuff sucks. And then when the dramatic moment comes, I'm like, oh, are they actually going to do this? They're just going to kill Sarah. And she brings a knife. His fucking threat ganglia just fall out because they're fake. They're, <laughs> they're like a weird, like, symbiote or something. They do immediately just fall out. Yeah. And she's like, way, look, like, your things fell out and you're not dead. And he's like, that shouldn't even be possible. And then he's like, I don't fear anything anymore. I feel incredible. And then like, oh, this is going to go really badly for yeah, everyone, isn't it? No one brings up that literally like three months ago, when he first felt no fear, he almost tried to kill Michael Burnham. He did do that. Yeah. I like that episode. Yeah. Uh, and that but no one else remembers it happening, apparently. That definitely led to the idea that, like, no, you can't, like, take away the things, that, like, the bad parts of yourself. Yeah. But you can synthesize, like, your being into something that is, like, whole, and move on from that. This kind of spits in the face of that. Yes. Actually, you can. It's just a fake thing that people are using to control you. 
which is fine. You know, you, you, know, you, you have nothing to lose but your threat ganglia. Like, yeah, fine. You can do your big societal plot, but I actually thought that the character stuff with Saro was much more interesting when it was a real yes. part of his nature. I agree. Um, I think I think season one Saro was like they didn't do as much with him, but I think the things that were there were more interesting than what they're doing now. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I, like as much as I did enjoy most of the episode, I'm not necessarily sold on the idea of the threat gang they're just falling off. Because I see how that like leads the plots down the line, right? Like yeah. he's going to become too overconfident and fuck things up, trying to fix his society. But also um, in like a, he's going to come down and like the answer is going to be that they were like that everything was a lie, which is fine, but like very rote compared to like the people believe in that. Like he believed in this up until his threat ganglia fell out. He he rejected yeah. it, but he believed in it. And that's important compared to, like, this was all just a fake thing that was used to control you by weird space aliens. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, like, just, he, I just think it's a less interesting plot direction to take Saru. And even in, like, the way of saving him, right? Like, because yeah. uh, Saru's like, um, oh, no, I have to go and, and Burnham's like, is there no other way? Uh, whereas I think that Burnham should have actually just, you know, knocked him out. I've been like, we're not waking him up until we can fix this. Like that would—that's yes. what Burnham would have done. Yes, absolutely. Because Burnham would have been like, I'm definitely killing you now, and punched him in the face. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> um, yeah, like she started a war with the Klingons because she believes she was right. Yeah, no, yeah, like as much as I liked the emotional stuff between them, I do think that that final moment, she only she only goes to cut it out because she would never because it was never going to work. Yes, exactly. And so just the whole the whole thing felt fake to me to begin with. Like all this is just stakes for nothing because I knew it'd be solved because the actual answer is they're going to go to Kaminar and be like the Ba'ul are lying to you. This is not your religion. This is a fake thing. This is always where this was going. And the fact that they tried to like fake out with, oh, Saru's going to die and maybe that plot will have to happen without him. I'm like, no, that's not how this, that's not how TV's written. Mm-hmm. So it just, it just did not work for me. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see that plot where they go back to Kaminar, I guess. But like, I guess, yeah, it does. For as much as I like, uh, was much more positive on the episode as you, um, I definitely am now less interested in Sarah as a character. <laughs> yeah. Like this is this is an A plot when it should be a B plot leading to another episode that where the, the A plot happens about Saru. Yep. I just think it's overwritten and because of that they like and they, they take it to an interesting emotional place, overextend, and then like end up with something that's less interesting at the like through all of that effort and it's mm-hmm. uh, it's a shame i don't know i did yeah. not like it <laughs> yeah i mean if this episode ended with um saru and stasis and everyone being like we're gonna save him somehow that would have a much better ending yes um uh the search for saru the search for saru and spock Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um but yes let me come to the uh what is actually the the like least important plot but the most important series wise yes um in terms of like consequences, stuff happening in the engineering lab. Also, the good one. <laughs> also, the good one. Yes, this is where the re- there's a really emotional scene that like that really got me in this in this scene, which is where uh, when they have to drill into S- Tilly's head. Uh, yeah, we'll, she get ne- okay, we'll, we'll get. We're gonna get so, through. We're gonna get through beat by beat, are we? So Jet Reno shows up and literally with no provocation because. So you were like, I don't think she's real. The only reason I just assume she's real is because when. Uh, when number one showed up, she just apparently brought two other people with her that introduced themselves as if they've always been there because they had to like reconnect like a thing that happened in the show that they dropped for three episodes. Yeah, and I bet like the show's already introduced random characters like this as like a sign that they might not be real. Yeah, and no, this is the yes, plot where sure. this is happening. She walks into the room where the not real things are with no explanation. 
no explanation of why she's actually there beyond yep. a single line that doesn't really hold water. Yep. Uh, I think, so this is like totally outside the plot of this episode. I think Jet Reno should be a non-binary character in Star Trek. I agree. This was my reaction to this episode. Uh, if you don't know, Tig Notaro is a comedian. Uh, I've seen her live. She's very good. Um, oh, but that's good. She had uh, breast cancer and had double mastectomy without any like corrective surgery after the fact. And so she presents in like a very unique way because she looks like like a trans person or someone who's binding, right? Like there, she comes in and her suit uniform is open, which no one else's is. And she's just rail thin because that's who she is as a person, right? Mm-hmm. And she has a face that's like, like she has really short hair. She has a much more like wrinkled lined, like normal person face than Star Trek actors have. And she just reads as like a really interesting, different type of body than we see in Star Trek ever on humans. Yeah. Because it's not like, because Tignataro is a real person with a real yes. sense of history to her. It yes. is a real human body that you are looking at and not, we have made an alien body to represent X. Yes. Um, and, and I think it's yeah. really striking to see her walk into this show uh, and it's I'm cool, like, yeah. oh, right. She's like, because in the first episode, she's very much like a comic relief kind of goofy character. And in this, she just comes in and she's still that. But like just her presence adds like a very interesting energy that I think Star Trek really needs. Uh, yes, especially in the dynamic she is in with uh, Stamets and Tilly. Yes. I think the trio is really good and interesting. Yes. Uh, which are already like interesting characters and in some ways like undercut a lot of like the weird body issues of t- television production, right? Like... Tilly is a heavier character and it's never brought up and she's still athletic and cool and awesome. And I like that fact about her. <laughs> I do as well. But I also like, because I noticed that I kind of laugh at it and be like, <laughs> she's normal. Yeah. <laughs> like she is absolutely television heavier in a way that is like good for the representation of how people are cast on TV. Yes. Uh, but also, and I'm glad the show doesn't like comment on it. She's normal. She's a normal girl. <laughs> yes, but um, like she's running marathons, and they're not like talking about how remarkable yes. it is that someone like her is running marathons in a way that this, they would have done if this was a '90s show. Yes, absolutely. Um, and you know, uh, Anthony Rapp is Anthony Rapp. Like whatever, he's the gay character. So I don't. I, don't, I have nothing to add to that. But it is. He's he is that Rapp. character, right? <laughs> yes. yes. Like, um, it's impossible to separate the, the real-life person, Anthony Rapp, who, like, I went through a big, big phase with Rent, and, like, he's back in the news again because of all the shit with What's-His-Face, uh, yep. and, like, Stamets is here, and he's an act, like, he's a visibly, like, signposted gay character, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the three of them together is just, like, a great dynamic of things that Star Trek desperately needs. Especially with, also, I would be remiss to mention, like, Tilly's... Uh, like the way that they focus on her is like not explicitly but implicitly uh, either autistic or at least not completely neuro- neurotypical, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, so like this is a, ca- a set of really, really interesting characters in Star Trek. And they're uh, going to argue about mushrooms versus dilithium, which is just the best. <laughs> it's true. Uh, it's time to... She's going to bring up... She can't bring it up because they haven't discovered it yet, but she's right on the verge of talking about that episode of TNG. <laughs> uh, what episode? Uh, where they talk about how warp fields are destroying um, oh, right, the space. Yes. <laughs> and no one yeah, because Samus, Samus is all about, you understand that every, like half of humanity is on asteroids mining dilithium and it's like just fossil fuels again. And she's like, whatever, it makes us go to warp. It's the best thing we've got. Like, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, never mind that in like 20 years, dilithium recrystallization is going to be invented and all this is a moot point, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, because dilithium is a renewable resource in TNG times because Scotty learned how to do it in Voyage Home. He did do that. Yes. Uh, 
And so that's just a normal process now. But it is, like, I like that they are speaking to the reality of TOS era where everyone is a fucking miner on a rock somewhere. They getting sure eaten are. by Getting eaten by hordas or whatever. And, like, the Klingon TOS Cold War that uh, is to come... Uh, is mostly a war for this kind of resource. Yes, And not exactly. always explicitly. Not like The episodes aren't always explicitly about we're getting Dilithium, but they are definitely land grabs. I mean, that's literally what Mirror Mirror opens with, is him trying to convince a planet that has a bunch of Dilithium to sign on the Federation. Like, you're warmongers, we don't want to do that. And he's like, no, you oh, don't yeah. understand. We're the Federation, we're not warmongers. And then beams up to the actual warmonger Terran Empire, right? Yeah, and like, um, not all the episodes with the Klingons are about that, right? Yeah. But it is... When you look at TOS and Star Trek as a whole, you can draw that as a central theme, as these are two yes. empires fighting over resources. That is what they do and what they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's good to see these characters argue about that. Yes. Um, and so that happens. Uh, all the Spore stuff, whatever. Uh, how do you feel about people in Star Trek just knowing what recreational drugs are and probably having taken them before? <laughs> um good because i think what it actually implies uh and backs up is that every human being on the enterprise d is the biggest squarest <laughs> dork who yes. has ever lived this came up in the discord it was like <laughs> like discovery has like real parties and people reference music that people like actually listen to in our era which like you know there's the whole star trek has no culture after world war three thing um which is just a weird manufactured thing because of television i don't really feel like getting into that galaxy brain wise but everyone on discovery like fucks and does drugs and is cool and likes good music and everyone on the Enterprise is going to sit for a poetry recital like it's a thing people want to (laughs) do. And the worst part is, I am absolutely the person who would rather sit for the poetry recital (laughs) than go to the party. You would go and watch that incredibly old ensign perform absolutely (laughs) in a string quartet with Data. I don't know if you know this, I am a huge square. I would love to be on the Enterprise D. I would love to just make pottery and listen to string quartets and watch Riker blow into his trombone. I'll prefer any of that over one party where people are, like, playing rock music and drinking. Everyone's getting, like, I mean, it wasn't rock music, but that's just how square you are. Um, (laughs) But, like, everyone's just being cool and dating each other and getting drunk and hanging out. And you're like, no, thank you. Uh, where can I watch a PowerPoint presentation <laughs> on the history of some obscure culture? Yes. Uh, you have to know. You have to know where you stand in the universe, and I stand on the Enterprise D. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. No. I also uh, just uh, like this as uh, in opposition to TNG because. This is like DS9 people are cool, right? Like, yes. Yes. I mean, no, they're, they're dorks, I like this explicitly but... because it really like makes like canon the weird textural friction of like when Rolaren shows up and it's like, why is everyone here a cop? Because they're all cops. It's a ship of Eagle Scouts. It's the flagship of the fleet. They're all like this. Yep. Um, the coolest yeah. person you've got is Will Riker. <laughs> He's very cool on that ship. I want the show about Will Riker going to any other... I mean, he goes to the Klingon ship. Yeah. But it's not not quite enough. Yeah, no, one where he just goes to like a cool ship like Discovery and everyone's like, who's this dad? If there's some kind of time-displaced Riker episode with Discovery, (laughs) I will lose my mind. Oh, it's really good. Yep. Uh, very anyway. silly. I like all that stuff a lot. Uh, and then Stamets proves that Stamets is maybe the coldest person in space by just like casually drilling into Tilly's skull. 
this is my favorite scene in the episode. I really liked it too. Because um, while you have the super melodramatic um, stuff in the Saru plot where, uh, you know, um, oh, I'm going to kill you now. I'm killing you. Oh, it didn't matter. Um, and here you have him being like, I guess we're drilling into your face until he's like, okay, I'm fine with that while being the least fine with that you can be. Yeah, but um, like he's like, okay, what's a song you like? And so she sings Space Odyssey, which is a good choice. Uh, and they both sing it together, and it's good, and I teared up. And then she's like, just like singing along with him. She knows it's coming. Is not like, she is scared, but normal Tilly scared. And then he just drills into her head, and it's like not, it's very like anti-climax. And I love that about this scene. It's just a, it's just a really difficult medical thing. Like, yeah, it's just another, another day on Star Trek, you're going to drill into your friend's skull with an actual just power drill. <laughs> And I like it in comparison to last time where they pulled the um, spore entity out of her when that was a big like effect and she went all Silent Hill. Yes. Uh, whereas this was just very quiet uh, and very nice as they sang the song together. And um, yes. good choice. Good choice, Tilly. Yep. Who doesn't like Space Oddity? Uh, I don't know. I don't want to know those people. It's a good it's song. True. It's a good song. Yeah. Uh, I think that might be everything I have. Yeah, and then you get the actually ending, which is her disappearing. Um, yeah. And my only note on that is that when we joked about her being the O'Brien last week... <laughs> <laughs> Definitely true. Tilly Definitely must true. suffer. Tilly has suffered so much. Um, we were joking about, like... Um, well, I I made a joke on, on, on Alt about um, what I would do if I was plotting Tilly. I was like, I'd be probably pretty cruel to her and have her, like, um, fail out of the captain's... Uh, Captain the mean, meanest thing you've ever done which is you're like meanest thing I'm like oh, she should go back but I think she should like lose it and understand you know use that as a way to confront stuff within herself it's um, too I, it's also too close to Wesley's arc for me <laughs> that's fucking true Fuck, yeah. I didn't even think about that um but that's the direction I was going in, and you were like, she should kill a person on accident. <laughs> yes, Whereas yes. I, I wanted her to make have a failure that's like personally catastrophic, but like materially nothing. I think that's interesting for Tilly. Uh, instead, what's happened, uh, as opposed to either of our ideas, because she's the nicest person who's ever been in Star Trek, she's just gone through hell. <laughs> Which <laughs> honestly hell. is probably the better one because it's you feel for her a lot in the time, but also it's hilarious. <laughs> She goes from last time, like seeing someone, seeing a ghost, to fucking up so hard she like fails out of her uh, captaincy thing. To a, a giant glob on her arm, slowly swallowing her as it pumps her full of drugs. Yeah, to being actually swallowed by a giant glob and covered in like slime and stuff. To being drilled in the head. Yes, the to, drilled in the, the head uh, happens before she's swallowed by the giant slug. To be fair. Yes. To, in the end, like, the final shot of the episode is her, like, in a null space covered in tentacles and yes. terrified. Yes. So, uh, could not be going worse for Tilly. I'm sure she'll hang out with Culber next time or something. Um, did you not watch the preview? No, is Culber in the preview? No. Oh, okay. No. Well, I don't want to know. A lot of, that. yeah, just uh, a lot of Tilly stuff next episode, so. Yeah, I do not want to know. <laughs> uh, you uh once we once you see the episode you should go back and watch the preview because it's maybe the coolest preview in a while it just looks like an awesome thing happens next episode i hope it's true okay well that's why I, that's why i don't watch the previews mm -hmm. i like i like to see the lies uh no it's fine you have a much better brain about this stuff 
But uh, yeah, no, I, I I think I'd probably say this is my least favorite episode this season. Still good. I liked it a lot, but it's one of my favorites of the show so far. I just like the broad emotional gestures. I can't help it. No, I, none of that worked for me. I thought it was like kind of laughable in how overwrought it was, which is I know that this is just me. Like this might just be a function of I just see the television show Matrix too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you just disconnect from things that you're like, if I was just watching this, I'd probably be beside myself. But I know too much now. Right. Because when this show kills people, and it's killed a lot of people, it never does it like this. It I just mean, kills it, them. It just, uh, it does. Yeah, Name God, a no, single really person does. who's died in this show in like a way that got a good set up. There wasn't just, oh, they're dead now, shit. This shit it got really, real. That season one really lent into the, <laughs> bam, dead. Isn't that, yep. isn't that like a big deal? Yeah. Uh, Game of Thrones-ness very hard. <laughs> Yep. No one has got a truly... I hope someone dies with a good emotional send-off at There's some point. There's literally an entire scene where Burnham's dragging Sara off the bridge and everyone stands up dramatically <laughs> and looks after him longingly and then the doors close as the sad version of the Star Trek theme plays. I'm like, this is bullshit. Stop they, doing this to me. They all stand up and press F to pay respects. Yes. I'm like, this is ludicrous. Nothing's going to happen. You were just signposting how much nothing's going to happen by doing this. Yeah, I mean, I do hope that someone gets in this show at some point. Someone dies and gets the big earnest thing, because I, I don't like when all the deaths is meant to be shocking. I think you should give them a reverent treatment. Maybe you shouldn't give the reverent treatment. Tre- shouldn't give the reverent treatment to the fake outs. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but I would like someone to get a good send off. I think that's a good part of a show with deaths. You should give someone a good send off at some point. Is has anyone in Star Trek ever gotten like the good send off? I don't think I can't name one single good send off. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, because uh, Dax's is laughable. Yep. Spock's is like just the Spock's, right length. Spock's is a good send off. Yeah, Spock's, Spock's is, good is good, but it feels like a thing that is like, it's one, it's the culmination of everything happening in that movie, but also it's relatively short. Like if Saru, if it had just been the thing in the a science lab and then suddenly like Saru had collapsed or whatever, I would believe that Saru was dying. Mm-hmm. Because that's the length of the send-off you need. You have the emotional connection, and you want more. The part where they drain the event of all of its, like, emotion is when you know that it's a fake-out. That's true. Because what's the point of a character death in fiction where you go through everything and you're left totally satisfied and then the character dies? That's literally not what the function of death in fiction is. Right. I guess that's true. I guess you just have them stay around then. (laughs) Yeah. And make more. What happens stories. is they cry for ten minutes, and then his threat ganglia fall out. They're like, "Oh, well, I guess we're done with that now," <laughs> which is what they did. But it really undercuts the belief in like the magic of the fiction, right? I mean, you can have this thing, you can have that death and have it work, but then the show ends. Is what happens yeah. next? Yeah, like you can do that. There's a specific show I am thinking of uh, that I know. You, that I don't know if you're thinking of as well, um, but I've seen this happen, and this death went on for about fifteen minutes. I don't know what you're talking about, but it, we, we're not going to talk about it here. We'll wait till... No, we... it's not May. Okay. Um, and then the next episode of the show is done. So... Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. You know all, exactly so. what it is, but that's... Anyway. Yes, you're right. They wouldn't do this three episodes in. I, like, yeah. I understand. I understand. Yep. We're and, done! Yeah, we're done. So this is this is fine. Like, you know, we disagree. I know I'm in the minority on this episode's read, but yep. it's not like I'm, I'm not up here writing AV Club reviews about how Star Trek has betrayed itself. Sometimes it's always a bullshit like this. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, the, it's this and 
there's a spectrum of it. There, you can be this, the visitor or you can be time yes. person. Yeah, like this literally happens to basically every TNG character twice. So I'm not going to like <laughs> ding Discovery for it. Yeah, but thank you very much for listening. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know where to find us, obviously. Hope you enjoyed. We'll be back next week for... Do you remember the name of the next episode? It is called... Saints of Imperfection. Saints of Infection, exactly. I thought I had was on the page, I had to click through to the next page. Uh, so until then, we will, as always, see you out there. <laughs>